This is Sid Roth saying, Shalom Mishpacha. Mishpacha is a Hebrew word. It means family. And we're the Mishpacha, the family with a Jewish heart. Welcome to today's edition of Messianic Vision and another appointment for you to be mentored to fulfill your destiny with one of our It's Supernatural guests. And now, here's your host for this program, It's Supernatural television producer, Ryan Bruss. Thank you, Sid. Today on Messianic Vision, our guest is Rodney Hogue. And I tell you, Rodney, you've been a pastor for many years, and you've dealt with a lot of people and situations and deliverance. And in your book on being liberated and, and getting free of all the entanglements and sin and, and staying free, this is one of the best books I've ever read on the subject. Well, thank you. <laughs> no, I, I'm I'm serious. This, this book really blessed me. And as a pastor myself, I know this is a great tool for the people in my church to grab onto because you don't just cover things in the book. I mean, you deal with everything and how to live free. And that's one of the biggest problems today in Christianity is we get we get people free, but they don't know how to walk it out. Yeah, that's one of the one of the reasons that we wrote the book is that people are, I mean, a lot of deliverance ministries or people who do deliverance, they think the objective is let's just get the demon out, which is, that's, that's pretty important. But the thing is, how does a person live in such a way that they just stay free, that they don't simply attract anything back, nothing comes back and just, that, that's even worse. So it's about empowering the believers to live a life of freedom, not just get free, but how do you stay free? Yes, sir. And the one thing I want to ask you that is very important to me and I know to the people listening, what happens when you not only, of course, cast the devil out of somebody or somebody learns to to get free, but now they walk this out? I would imagine that you literally see a different countenance, a different way of life, a new joy. What are you seeing in people who learn to not be bound by anything anymore and how to live like like they're probably rediscovering themselves. Something's gone, and a lot of times they feel it's gone, and all of a sudden that things are different for them even. When I ministered to the first person that I saw get free, I mean, it was it was not a good experience for me. Why don't you go ahead and talk about that, and then we'll backtrack a little bit later. Okay. I'd found my own freedom about, you know, eight months earlier, and uh, but I wasn't, didn't want to do any deliverance. You know, I was just content with myself just being free. And I was talking with my wife about this stuff. We're learning about it, growing and understanding, and mainly just for me. And then my wife had lunch with one of the ladies in our church, very sweet, precious, beautiful young woman that you think really didn't have any problems or issues at all. And when she's talking to my wife, she's talking about a struggle that she had, and she just seemed to be not able to get any freedom from it. My wife said to her, so do you, do you think it might be demonic? And she said, you know, I, I don't know. Do you think it could be? She said, yeah, well, why don't you come over tonight and let Rodney minister to you? So that was like my first time in doing it. And I didn't, you know, I was not a happy camper and uh, it was not a good experience because, I mean, you know, as, as we started the night, you know, I didn't know how to start it. I didn't know how to begin it. I didn't know any, how, how to do that. I'd never seen a deliverance session. And so I, I was, I was kind of, kind of 
freaking out. <laughs> I called my dad. You know, he was a he was a pastor in Tulsa, and and uh, he couldn't help me out. But he did have a guy that was there who was named Jim Hilton, who was who was ministering in their church. And Jim was kind of ministering in this area, so he put him on the phone, and we talked a little bit. And I had I thought I had it recorded, but the recording was blank, so I was kind of like on my own. We and then the, she comes over, and I didn't I didn't know what to do to start this thing. So you know, I read some scripture, but it, I thought maybe if I like harassed them or something like that, <laughs> they would like kick in. But it, it, that didn't work. I said, "Well, let's pray." You know, we all bowed our head, closed our eyes, and prayed. And of course, nobody told me that when you're ministering this area, don't close your eyes. But you know, nobody told me the rules, so I didn't know the rules. So I, I said, "Okay." Uh, I closed my eyes, and then when I finished praying, she couldn't open her eyes. I mean, her eyes were, were shut, and and so I mean, I look. I'm looking at her, and and she said, "I can't open my eyes," and I'm freaking out. I look over my wife, and I give her that look, like you know, like what did you get us into? <laughs> and so she, you know, I said, "In the name of Jesus, I command those eyes to open up." And bang! I mean, those eyes opened up, and uh, so I, I thought, "Oh man, it it works." And and then I said, and then she said. I, I see your lips moving, but I can't hear anything because then she went deaf. I go, oh no! So I did the same thing, you know. In the name of Jesus, I command those ears to open up, and boom, they opened up. And I would say, for the next several hours, and it was several hours, I, I don't know if they left because we drove them out or we wore them out. <laughs> but eventually, they left. And but at the end of the night, I was I saw the face of freedom. And it's like, Lord, I love seeing that face. Mm. And I told the Lord, I said, Lord, you know, I don't like the mess. I don't like going through this process. But if I could see that face, I'll I'll do this. That is so good. Yeah. And just seeing the face of freedom and, you know, talking with her the next week and, you know, how things are different and how her life was changed. I mean, that was like amazing. And I said, this is what it's about. I love seeing that look, and I love seeing people set free. Now, Ronnie, was that lady a Christian? Yes. So let's backtrack for a moment. In 1981, you were attending a class at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, and uh, a friend of yours was the was a pastor, teacher of a, of a seminar, and uh, this kind of got everything going for you. Uh, t- tell that story and what happened as you drove off. Well, you know, the, the, uh, it, it's a field ed class, so it's taught by a local pastor. And so we're meeting at a church. It wasn't one of the local seminary professors. And I love what this guy was doing. He was creative. He was innovative. But at the end of the class, we're just visiting. And we're just talking. And he says, you know, today we ministered to three people who were demonized. And I kind of got excited at first because I thought, oh, man, here's the New Testament in action. I've never done that before. Well, in reality, I had. I just didn't know that's what I was dealing with. But I, I, I was intrigued. Yeah, tell me more. And then he said, and two of them were Christians. And I don't know why. Like, I didn't like that. <laughs> in fact, the first thought that came to my head was like, I don't believe in that. Actually, I never really thought it before. I, never, I didn't even have a belief system or a doctrine. But those were the thoughts that came to my head. Now I know that those weren't my thoughts. I just wasn't you know, embracing those thoughts because it sounded like me. But the other thing is, is that 
I had to get out of there as fast as I could. It's like I had this panic attack, and I got to run. So I said, "Oh I, man, I got to get home." I was tapping my watch, and and I said, "I guess you know, thank you, enjoyed the class." And I and I got out of there, and I'm driving home. And as I'm driving home, thinking about this, like, how can this be? The Holy Spirit speaks to me so clearly. I mean, really clearly, and says, "Rodney." That's what you have. Well, I, I got mad. In fact, I really wasn't even thinking it through at this point. I'm like, oh, you can't have me. And then I said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to leave me. And, and when I did that, I felt this thing leave. I mean, I, 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 felt, it, I felt it go. And then, of course, I, I sat back and I go, oh, no. Now I've just had an experience I don't think I believe in. And... uh and that's where I'm like, okay, I got to figure this thing out. That was in the fall of 1981, and I spent the next, you know, three to five months really just kind of digging into stuff, finding as many books as I can on this stuff. It, the problem is in 1982, when I'm really starting to read on this stuff, there weren't a, a whole lot of books that were out there on deliverance, and there wasn't any in the Baptist bookstore, you know, because I was attending a Baptist seminary and pastoring a Baptist church. So I really had to look at, there were a lot of practitioners that were out there at that time, but none of those guys were writing books yet. So it was, it was a learning curve for me. And then, uh, then, then I got to that church and, and later on, they just started coming. I mean, it's like I started attracting demonized people. (laughs) And you, you had to learn the hard way, so to speak, that, that not everything in front of you that looks normal, talks normal, and is currently acting normal uh, doesn't mean they don't have demons. That's true. And I think, Rodney, that's a big deal for people listening. If you could just explain just, uh, a little bit more, a little clearer, that when you say that a Christian can have a demon, I think some of them get scared that they're demon-possessed or that, you know, my life is ruled by Satan. Or What does it mean that a Christian can have a demon? Well, you know, in the scripture, it describes uh, a person has a demon. There's there's the person, the verb, there's a Greek verb there, and then there's the, you know, the word for demon. So a person has a demon, not a demon has a person. So the word demon possession is really more of an interpretation than it is a literal translation. It's like there's this traditional way of translating the Bible that uses that particular word. It's interesting, in the Geneva Bible, which precedes the the King James Bible, that one actually does it right, where it says that a person has a demon. But you get to the King James, you'll say a person is demon-possessed. So literally, it's a person has a demon. There's also a verb that a person has a demon, demonizomai, and that particular verb is like a very generic one. It's, It's like you can be like influenced or tempted as all the way to the guy at the Gadarenes who is like fully controlled uh, can fall under that verb. But it's a kind of a general verb. But the Geneva Bible does use demon possession on that particular term. And uh, everybody seems to follow suit. So the problem is we know that a Christian cannot be owned by Satan. He, he can't be owned. I mean, he's owned by the Lord. He belongs to the Lord. But it's not to say that there may not be areas of darkness that are in a person's life that the enemy is actually operating in to actually keep a person in bondage. 
That's really what we're talking about. It's not the whole person that's just taken over or consumed. You're not like the guy on the in the Gadarenes in the New Testament or the little girl that's in the movie The Exorcist. That's kind of like the extremes there, and those are actually kind of rare. Most of us just have one or two areas in our life that we just don't seem to have victory in. Maybe it's a fear. Maybe it's a compulsion. Uh, maybe it's a habit, something like that, that you seem to be operating okay in all these other areas of your life, but you just got this area that you just can't seem to have victory in. And, Ron, and before we talk about some of those specific areas and even demonic attachment, you are so thorough, and it's so well-written in your book. And, of course, you talk some on your CD set. Okay, you in your book, you talk about how you learned the right and wrong way of deliverance. Now, you talked a little bit about that in that story you told, but tell me if I'm wrong here. When you first started out, you were, you were like, running after it and like— Rah! You know, this, that's the impression I got anyway. You know, you're just looking for anything and anybody to cast the devil out of. Talk about that process so people that are listening can understand that you've been there, done that, and you've, you, over all these years, you know what works. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think the, the thing that, I, that dawned on me one day is that I began to see that the way you do deliverance when you're bringing the kingdom of God into a new place, it, that's going to be confrontive. It's going to be dramatic. It's going to be kingdom confrontations. But once people come into, they come into the kingdom. Once they're, you know, have a relationship with Jesus, then it's just a matter of cleaning up the sheep. So I look at what you have with Jesus. And the disciples in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts is that you're bringing the kingdom of God into into this place. And you're confronting the devil. You're pushing out the darkness. And so you're going to have some confrontation as light is exposing the darkness. And that's where people are screaming, and it's going to be confrontational. And really, that sort of thing is what you see. For example, if I go to Mozambique, and I go to a village with some of my friends, and we're bringing the gospel into a village for the very first time. There's going to be kingdom confrontations. Oftentimes that witch doctor or somebody else who's just got these demons. And so we're really just exercising our authority to simply displace the darkness. So that, that's kind of like the, this confrontational kingdom advancement style. But once they come into the kingdom, then we follow the model that's founded really with the writings of Paul, the pastoral epistles, James, Peter, First uh, and Second, Third John, and in those, what we're doing just we're empowering the sheep and just cleaning up the sheep. We're helping them to remove the constraints off of their life. And I don't have to be as confrontive, dramatic, confrontational when I'm with the sheep. I'm simply helping them to lo- to know who they are, the authority that they carry, and begin to live free and to stay free. So it's it's kind of a different style. When I first was doing it, there wasn't a whole lot of compassion, and I was just kind of direct and kind of a, I would say maybe even abusive. And uh, I had an agenda, you know, let's get that demon out. And I really wasn't seeing the person as a person, having value, having significance, being important. But I had to make this shift that that's not the heart of Jesus. And then when I began to see them differently, then— I'm going to do it in such a way that honors them and that empowers them. That is so good. Uh, even even in my own church, I had to learn that lesson the hard way that 
that I, I got to see people as God's beloved sons and daughters, not just those who have a call on their life or those that need to be healed, but as, as his precious children. And it seems like once you made that, that switch, uh, your, your ministry kind of shifted. Yeah. And it wasn't a, a matter of uh, yelling and screaming, not that you were doing that, but, you know, it's not that you were attacking it that way. It's, it's that you, you reached through with a heart of compassion like you talk about Jesus did. Yeah. So, Rodney, uh, dem- let's talk about demonic attachment. Before we get into a little bit more specific about the open doors, you, you say that in your book that all demonic attachments are not equal. What do you mean by that? Well, when you look at uh, in the Scripture, you, you look at the guy who's like number 10 on a 1 to 10 scale, the, the gathering demoniac, the guy who's going around the tombs, he's breaking chains. I mean, this guy, had he totally had lost himself in that. So that that is like on on a one to ten scale. That that guy's a ten. On the other end, you have temptation, where it's, there's no demonic attachment at all. That where the enemy just kind of, you know, whispering into our ears. We we receive thoughts that we think that are our thoughts, but they're not our thoughts. But we embrace them as our thoughts because they sound like us, and we just call that temptation. Then when we act upon that, then that's probably a step up from that. You know, that's, and that's kind of like Peter. You know, whenever he rebuked Jesus, and because Jesus told him what was going to happen, and then Jesus said to him, get behind me, Satan. And what he was doing, Jesus was simply addressing the source of those thoughts that Peter had. Because Peter actually not only embraced those thoughts, but then he acted on those thoughts rebuking Jesus. So, But he wasn't attached to Peter. He was just simply, Peter was just, you know, influenced let me jump in here, if you don't mind, because a great friend of mine, uh, a minister we've had on here several times, says the same thing. I'm oversimplifying it, of course, but can we kind of go about our day, and if there's a temptation to get angry, frustrated, stressed out, lust, well, you name it, that we can we can open that door for a demonic influence in that moment? If we listen to those thoughts, if we entertain those thoughts, that's yes. what we're doing. So then you have the other people that uh, have demonic attachments. For example, there's, there's a guy that was mute. He couldn't talk. And there, or there's another person that was blind and mute. I mean, he's worse. Uh, you have the young boy that was simply, you know, he was thrown into the fire or something like that. But the father said it scarcely leaves him. But that also means that there were a few moments that this boy did have some sanity. So he wasn't on a one to ten scale. He wasn't a ten, but he was probably, you know, up there as probably as an eight. Then you have the woman who's like bent over for like eighteen years, and that was caused by a spirit. But she probably lived a pretty normal life, but it was just one area. So what we see in this is that in the scripture we have people have varying degrees of demonic attachment, and and the reason we have to bring this out is because a lot of people stereotype. A demonic influence as the guy at the gatherings, you know, like number 10, or they saw the movie The Exorcist, you know, that that's a 10. And you have to realize that's going to be the rare stuff. Most of it is going to be just one or two areas in a person's life, not not the whole person. Okay, now you say that demons look for open doors, and you're very clear in your book of what those open doors are. List some of those for the people that are listening right now. We get that passage in Ephesians chapter 4, 26, 27, you know, right in there where it tells them, do not give the devil an opportunity. Do not give the devil away to, you know, it tells him that, you know, 
be angry and sin not, and don't give the devil a way to defeat you. So that's where we get that. That that, that particular word there, opportunity, is is a, kind of a very common word in the, in the Greek language. But it's simply this, you know, don't give him a foothold. Don't give him a place. The enemy's the legalist, and he just can't jump on you without having a legal right to do this. He just can't just, you're just walking down the street, and he just jump on you and attach himself to you. Now, he might attack you, but he's not going to attach himself to you unless there's a legal right for him to do that. So that's what he's looking for, a place of legal control. You know, and probably the most common thing that happens is, you know, habitual sin, where you're... You just simply give in to something and over and over and over again. At first, you're in control, and there's no demonic attachment. But the more you give in to this thing, after a while, when you can't control it, there's probably a demonic spirit that's, that's driving that thing then. So that's, that's one thing or, or one area. Anytime that you're, any people, time people are calling a demonic spirits or stuff like that, that's going to be something else. Uh, you know, that, that's the occult, uh, sexual perversion, pornography, uh, those open doors, occults. And I would define occult as worshiping another Jesus or worshiping multiple Jesuses or even no Jesuses, but you're actually just, you're in a religion other than, you know, other than Christianity. Sometimes there's drugs, and I'm not talking about drugs that your body needs, so you don't have to freak out, you know, if you have a headache and you take an aspirin, you're not going to get a demon from that. <laughs> Thank you. You know, it's it's like you're taking stuff your body does not need. You're you're going for an effect that your body does not need. And just a moment ago, Rodney, you you had mentioned that demons uh, can't just they can attack you, but they can't attach themselves to you. Uh, you mentioned in your book that demons only have the authority you give them. What does that mean? What does that look like? Well, it's the power of agreement. You, in other words, you come in agreement with a lie. You come into an agreement with what the demon has told you. That's how they come in there. They don't have any authority on their own. That's already been removed by what Jesus did on the cross. He broke the power of darkness. He shattered the power of darkness. Colossians 2.15 talks about that. Jesus has all authority in heaven on earth. That's Matthew chapter 28. I mean, Jesus has all authority. The devil has been stripped powerless. And, and you see, the problem is, is that since he has no authority over us, he cannot exercise anything over us unless we give him permission to do that. So he uses certain tactics. He uses deception. He uses lies. And if we come into an agreement with his lie, then he actually then exercises authority over us. And it's not, our, it's not his authority. It's actually our authority. Because if you think about it, I mean, throughout the whole world, I mean, we look at demons, we go, man, those guys seem to be pretty powerful for being all stripped of all of their authority. But the truth is, they're only operating on the power that man has given them. Even a principality over a region. I mean, that principality over a region has no authority because Jesus stripped them of all that authority. So what authority are they operating in? Well, they're operating in the authority of man, that man has given them. So and so many men have given them that that authority. That's what that's what you're fighting against. You're fighting against really the authority of man has given these these demonic powers. Now, Rodney, you have a brand new book. I love the title, Liberated. And your your main subject of the book is how to get free, stay free. 
And uh, that's one of the most important things for the body of Messiah is that people learn to walk this out every single day. Talk about your book for a moment. Why did you write it? How is it going to really impact the lives that read it? What's in the book is simply the way that I've ministered in the area of deliverance, the processes that I went through, the trial and error. And I started teaching this in my own church, and then I started attract—actually, I taught this in my church every year for like 15 years, because I would, I would go through a prayer counselor training, which is like five different weekends. You know, like one was on, on your identity. Secondly, there was the inner healing. Third was deliverance. Fourth, physical healing. And then the last is kind of like, how do you do this stuff in church and, and, and so on, and talks about the kingdom and things like that. Uh, I started teaching this in my travels around the world. I just wanted to put in writing what I've been actually teaching for a long period of time into, into getting free and how to empower people. But the staying free part, I did my doctoral dissertation in that area uh, on post-deliverance discipleship. I just did all these studies about people and, and, and really just it hammered into me the significance of why people really need to have a plan in order to stay free. So what you have in the second half of the book is how do you stay free, the steps of staying free, Uh, you know, why you need to do this, why it's important to do this, and some very practical steps in in how to do that. And this is the same stuff I would give people when I would minister to them. And the thing that I really love about your book is how you make it so practical, so ready to use. And really, uh, Rodney, you really teach from start to finish. And, and I don't know about you, but there's nothing like living clean, living free, not having the burden of sin or, or, or uh, past things hanging on you. And you really teach people how to, how to get there and walk through it. And then you have a brand new three CD set that you did with us, Jumpstart Your Freedom. And in there, you, you're praying over people, you're loving on people, you're saying, okay, here's ready, set, go. Here's how you begin to walk this journey uh, and you help them do that. And Rodney, back to uh, your teaching here. Uh, one of the big, big things that you talk about in the book and and, and I, I really touched me and I love is the uh, power of knowing your identity. And uh, talk about that for a moment, because it seems like after I read your material, especially, it seems like demonic influence rides on the wings of false identity, lies about who I am, not only in God, but as a man, as a woman. And when our identity is not secure, uh, it seems like the enemy can really get in there. I'll always be poor. I'll always be broke. I, you know, I'll, I'll always get sick or whatever it is. But but you teach that the power of your identity is a, is a major key in staying free. It, this is a huge issue, not only for people who just need to stay free, I think just about any believer it struggles with this, you know, it, not knowing who they really are, not knowing what has happened when they gave their heart to Jesus, that they became this new creature, this new creation, that the old is gone, the new really has come. And, and see, because we have thinking patterns that are in agreement with the old, uh, those thinking patterns, as they kind of rule our thinking, then all of us, all of a sudden, we think that's who I am, but that's not who the Scripture says that we are. That's who we were. So whenever I sin, I'm not acting out according to who I am. 
I'm acting out according to who I was because I have thinking structures that are still in agreement with who I was. So I have to go through this process of renewing my mind. That's what Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, too. I have to go through this process of renewing my mind, putting in new thinking, new thought structures that are in that are in agreement with, you know, with, with heaven, with my true identity. So that whenever I begin to have entertained thoughts that are not in agreement with who I am, if I've got a thinking structure that, that is now in agreement with heaven, then I can actually capture those thoughts pretty quickly as they begin to come in, like saying, that's not who I am. That's not my true identity. And Rodney, not only do you uh, talk about this in your book, and, and I want to make sure everybody out there knows that with what I'm about to ask you, how does somebody begin to say, wait a second, I, I've been thinking this way my whole life, and that's not right. And, you know, the, the first obvious answer is intimacy with God and God's Word. How do I begin to find myself in Scripture to identify those areas where I believe lies? Well, Second Corinthians 10, 3-5 talks about that God has given us weapons. They're not like the world, but they're divinely powerful to tear down strongholds. Then it goes on to define what strongholds are, that we are to simply to really to capture thoughts. Everything that's raised up against the knowledge of God, it's our thinking. So we can actually capture thoughts and grab a hold of thoughts that are not really our thoughts or that they're not God thoughts. Whenever we have an ungodly stronghold in our life, and I define that as a repetitive thinking pattern that kind of dominates our life, Rules how we think, rules how we feel, because well, you know how you think determines how you feel, and and you actually do according to how you feel. That we have to go back to the thinking process there, and of course nothing's greater to, to reveal truth except from God's word, and it's about getting into His word and actually being intentional in this stuff. So if I find myself entrapped in an area, an area of bondage, for example. Let's say that I have these feelings of unforgiveness that are just rising up. Okay, I got this bitterness thing going on. So if I got a stronghold of bitterness, which is a thinking pattern of bitterness. That means I, I need to unravel that thinking pattern of bitterness and replace that with compassion. So I'm going to actually replace it with a with a stronghold of compassion. Because if I if I have compassion really me, I'm not going to have feelings of unforgiveness. You know, you know this. So, so what happens? A person. Has you know, I, I choose to forgive, and then two weeks later, I have these feelings of unforgiveness pop back up. Then I choose to forgive again. Two weeks later, feelings of unforgiveness. Then I choose to forgive. So I find myself always forgiving and forgiving and forgiving because I think maybe maybe I didn't really forgive. But the truth is, you did forgive. The problem is, you still have thinking structures, thinking patterns that are in agreement with bitterness. So I got a. a be intentional about unraveling those. And when I began to have my mindset, you know, truth embedded in my mind relating to compassion, I mean, compassion is going to produce feelings of compassion. So when that person comes up, it's going to be not bitterness, but, you know, how God sees them. You know, and I'm, so I'm going to have these, these thinking patterns that are in, in agreement with, with truth. 
And uh, so that's got like one illustration. So let me let me get this right to clarify for the people at home as well. So let's say you pray over somebody, Rodney, or or, or somebody gets prayed over and they renounce unforgiveness. And they say, listen, I've been struggling. I have a hard time forgiving so-and-so, but I repent. I repent for that, and I believe it's under the blood of Jesus. And that thing, according to the Word of God, has to go because I'm yielding to the Lord. Yeah. And now, now you're saying, uh, which I completely agree with because I, I see this in my own church, is, okay, I repented. And, and the people at home need to understand this. I, I have repented. I'm forgiven. I'm clean. And, and that thing, I don't yield to the demonic spirit anymore of that. But you're saying, okay, that's good, and that's that's real good, but you have to unlatch, and you have to kind of unwind from so many years of living in unforgiveness that you have to renew your mind in the truth uh, that of what the Word says in that particular area, and that brings the lasting fruit of freedom. Yeah. Another area would be like like maybe an area of fear. You know, you have this, this consuming fear, and you dress fear, and you break off fear, and you tell fear to go. And now fear is gone. However, if you still have thinking structures that are in agreement with fear, then you, that, those thinking will produce feelings of fear. So, but now you got to, you know, I'm going to be intentional now. And so I'm going to actually talk about, or, you know, about confidence or, the, uh, or courage. In other words, what is the opposite of that particular fear that you're feeling? And that was, that's what we're going to get intentional about filling our minds with. So let me take it a step further. So it's obviously not repeating a verse 2,500 times. Maybe it is. I don't know. I mean, you got to get it in you. It's how do I, how do I make sure it becomes part of me where a lie used to be like fear that I yielded to? How do I make sure that new truth of God's word becomes embedded in me, a, a righteous stronghold and, and not just repeating a verse all the time. Well, repeating a verse doesn't hurt at all, you know, because what you're doing there, you're just repeating a truth. You're just right. repeating the truth. God's Word is truth. There's power in the words that we speak. Words have substance. Words have assignment. So whenever you begin to speak out with what God says over your life, and I even say repeatedly, one thing that, that we do in the book is that ultimately at the end, we just want them to create an identity statement of who they really are and take that identity statement. That's it. That's, and it may be just, just quoting verses or it may be statements out of the verses, you know, in the book, I think in the back of the book, I have like, like five full pages of who you are in Christ, just your identity. Yes. I love that. And you can take some of those statements that really speak to to who, you know, what you should be thinking. Because basically you may read some of those things and say, that doesn't feel true. I know it's true, but it doesn't feel true. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to actually speak that over me over and over again. So that truth, because God's word has truth, and especially I speak his truth, that's going to soak down from my head all the way down to my spirit. So I know this inside, just like Psalm 139 says, that my, my soul knows it well. I know it. So now it becomes an integrated part in because you're actually activating the this, this spirit realm around you. And Rodney, you talk about clearly in your—it's not in my notes, but I remember how wonderful it was to read in your book about sanctification as a process. I was thinking uh, of somebody that may deal with a lustful spirit. You know, they, they try so hard to not 
be lustful and they want to be free, but at the same time, they got to renew their mind. But it, it is also a process. Yeah, it's like this. It's like my true identity in the Lord, you know, declares me I am righteous, I am holy, I'm in the perfect image of Jesus. I mean, that's my true identity. So now what I'm doing, I'm actually pursuing who I am. That's so good. You know, that's why Ephesians 4 says that we take off who we're not. You know, remove the old man. This is right around 23, verse 24. But I then put on the new self, which is in the the image of Christ. It's it's righteousness and it's holiness of the truth. So I'm taking off who I'm not, but I'm putting on who I am. And, and, you know, we may use other terminology. We may call this lordship or something like that, where I'm actually bringing every room in, in the house, you know, under the, the rule and the control of Jesus. I'm letting him have, you know, access to every place, every closet, to the attic, to the, to the basement. And he's going to just bring everything under his authority. So it is actually pursuing who we are, running after who we are. So, so that's why the scripture says, and Timothy, Paul says, and also in the, in Hebrews, that we are to pursue righteousness and pursue sanctification. You know, we're pursuing who we are. So good. And this is why, for you who are listening, it's so uh, uh, important to understand that once you're free, you got to learn how to renew your mind where the, yeah. the enemy has so tried to influence you. Okay, now, Rodney, you have a story about a woman that the glory came in when she was set free from a stubborn spirit. What happened? Well, we had already been working with this woman for some time, and she'd already been set free of of several things. But there came a a time, you know, where we're trying to get the spirit out, and it wasn't coming. I mean, it just wasn't coming. We're doing everything we know to do, but it just wasn't coming. It wasn't leaving her. And so we were kind of getting frustrated here. And, uh, and, but this thing seemed to be pretty strong and didn't, couldn't find a reason it was there. Couldn't find a ride, couldn't find an open door that we could close. So I finally just said, okay, let's just ask the Lord just to come do this. So that's what we did. We just said, the Holy Spirit, will you just come? Jesus, will you just come and just set this woman free? And I had no expectation, but something happened that really, I mean, it never happened before. And uh, and really not even since, uh, since it happened at that time to that degree. But all of a sudden, the presence of God just comes into the room. It's like the, His holiness comes inside the room, and I just felt this holiness come in. And when He did, I like okay, I'm forgetting everybody else. You know, <laughs> I found I was on the floor. I mean, it was so holy. I was on the floor. I was confessing all my sins. You know, I was like. God, don't kill me. <laughs> it was that his presence was so strong in the room, you know. And uh, so I'm down on the floor. I'm confessing my sin, you know, before the Lord. I, I was, really wasn't. In, I mean, it was a frightful time for me. <laughs> it really was. But you know, I looked up, and there she was. She was just sitting there. And all of a sudden, you know, she's she's smiling, and Jesus set her free, and the Spirit of the Lord just rested on her. And she looked up, and there's that face of freedom that I love seeing. And she looks around at us, and then she begins just just to speak over our lives, just the things that the Lord was trying to say to us, communicate to us. I mean, it's it's like, you know, she started prophesying over us and and encouraging us. I mean, and, and she was pretty accurate when she was doing it. 
So I, I tell people, hey, listen, if it's not coming out, just invite Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> He's the one who sets them free anyway, because this is his ministry. It's not ours. That's right. And we ran out of time for this interview, but you talk in your book on how to stay free. I know you book, you mentioned that there's two main factors that contribute to ongoing freedom. And unfortunately, and I'm very sorry for those at home, we don't have time to go into that. And there's a beautiful rebuilding process, which I, I think that a lot of times as as humans, let alone Christians, but as humans, we always want the shortcut. And uh, after reading your book, I don't get the sense that this has got to take me a lifetime uh, in any way to accomplish. So uh, uh, people at home, friends at home, uh, just get before the Lord, even before you get these materials and begin to say, Lord, what is it in me that, that I've been yielding to? Why am I always so angry? Why am I, yeah. why, why is it hard to, for me to forgive? And why do I always react that way towards that person? Or why do I keep giving in to lust or, or whatever it is? And then let the Lord begin to minister to you. I am telling you, friends, that this material is wonderful. It'll teach you how to get free and stay free by renewing your mind in the identity of that God, how God sees you, how Father God sees you, and walking in His love and walking in His goodness. Rodney, before we go, would you mind just praying over the people at home? Sure. Lord, in your name, we just declare every assignment of hell to be exposed and to be broken. And Lord, would you just reveal every assignment of heaven, Lord, that you have your destiny, your purpose, your call, Father, their place in your kingdom. Father, we just declare that over everyone who's listening right now in the name of Jesus. We ask you, Lord, to remove every constraint, everything that's keeping somebody held back, that's keeping them from going forward, that's keeping them from actually seeing. So, Lord, I ask that you give them eyes that see and ears that, that hear the things of your spirit, Lord, that, that every every device of the enemy, every strategy of hell will be exposed, be brought into the light. And, Lord, that you will just walk your people to a place of new levels of freedom, new levels, Lord, of understanding your purpose and your will in their lives. And I bless them, Lord, with that, with that kind of freedom in Jesus' name. Amen. And you've been listening to Messianic Vision with our guest Rodney Hogue. And now here's Sid to tell you how you can get the special resource. I have a question for you. How would you live differently if you were free of every stronghold? I mean, every stronghold in your life. How would your life be different if you no longer listened to and believed the lies of the enemy? Rodney Hope teaches that you can be set free and stay free of any demonic stronghold, no matter how big or small. In his brand new book, Liberated, an exclusive three CD set, Jumpstart Your Freedom. In his three CD set, Rodney prays with you to break every demonic stronghold. Repent for anything you place between you and God, and he helps guide you to your new supernatural identity. Call now for Rodney Hoag's brand new book, Liberated, an exclusive three CD set, Jumpstart Your Freedom, for an investment of 35 U.S. dollars. To order, call 1-800-447-2697. Once again, that's 1-800-447-2697. 
or go to our website at sidroth.org. That's S-I-D-R-O-T-H dot O-R-G. Rodney Hogue's brand new book, Liberated, an exclusive three CD set, Jump Start Your Freedom. Offer number 9680 for an investment of 35 US dollars. Be sure to ask for offer number 9680. Once again, that's offer number 9680.